0: name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, this message tonight is called Wise and Understanding, and it comes to us from James chapter 3, verse 13 to 18. And if you don't have a Bible— If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. We have ushers coming around who would love to get a copy of God's Word in your hand. If you don't have a Bible at home, or if you'd like to have the the translation that we use here in the church, if you'd like to have that at home, you, you put your hand up to get a Bible, and then you keep that. That is our gift to you. You are going to need a Bible tonight. You are going to need God's Word. It is going to be open, it's going to be read, and I'm counting on you to read it as well. Lord, give me wisdom. God, please give me wisdom. I need help, and I need wisdom. I've, I've prayed that literally just a minute ago in that seat. How many of you have prayed that today? How many of you have prayed that this week? God, I need your wisdom. I need your help. How many of you have ever called out to God for that? When we, when we ask for wisdom, when we ask for wisdom, what are we truly asking for? When we ask for wisdom, what do we, what do we mean about, by that? Who do you go to for wisdom? To many, it, it might be someone who uh, you look up to as a mentor, maybe a, a, a father, a mother, another parental figure. It might be someone in your life who hopefully gives you wise advice, to others, it might be someone who maybe has the things you think you want, seems to have the lifestyle that you think that you want, or maybe someone you think they've got it all figured out, right? They've got it all figured out. They, they're a wise person. Maybe you think of someone who's really smart. Someone you think of, you're like, oh, they know, they know a lot of things. Right? Maybe that's a wise person. You see, knowing a lot of things can, can be an asset. Right? Knowing a lot of things can be an asset. But, but the real value... The real value is knowing how to apply it, how to make it useful. As you'll see on the screen, wisdom, the definition of wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. You see, in in the intelligence community, right? So kids, we're going to talk about spies, all right? We're going to talk about spies tonight. In the intelligence community, all right, secret agents and secret operatives, which actually, as it turns out, is, is, is like not at all what spies do they actually mostly just work like really boring jobs and kind of just pilfer off a little bit of information at a time not actually that adventurous but in that community the equivalent terms for knowledge and wisdom are information and then intelligence proper right intelligence so having a lot of information it's not necessarily that helpful unless you can sort out the truth from the, all the noise, right? Unless you can sort out the truth from the noise. Just knowing a bunch of stuff isn't, isn't helpful. You have to sort the facts from the chatter. In fact, too much information, too many sources of information, too much knowledge can actually, it can be a problem. How do you delegate your resources? How do you follow up on hundreds or thousands of bits of conversation? How do you, how do you get all this data and then distill it down to a picture of the Right? How do you get the facts? How do you sort through all the speculation, the opinion? How do you sort through the propaganda to get to the truth? Right, The truth. And what ultimately, what is truth? You see, the world is, is all too eager to tell us about truth. The world says, go find your truth. Right? Go find your truth. What's true for you? Go get your dreams Seek your goals. You deserve to get what you want. And definitely, definitely do not let any other, anyone get in your way of getting what you want. but see, Scripture tells us a very different way. Scripture tells us the way. Scripture tells us a very, very different desire. Scripture tells us of a goal and a prize that are eternal and a truth that is truly the truth. You see, but you and I face a problem every single day. Every single day, we live unwisely, right? We get distracted from this goal. We lose sight of that prize and the result of that. We're going we're gonna to unpack that in our text today, but take a quick look over here at verse 14 uh, to 16. We're, we're, let's just have a quick little preview of this. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. This isn't the wisdom that comes down from above. It's earthly. It's unspiritual. It's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder. There will be every vile practice. We're going to unpack this more today, but, but we're gonna, we see this increasingly in our world, right? We see this in the culture around us. Sadly, we see this in our own lives as well. We see this in our own lives as well. Has any, anyone struggled this week? Has anyone struggled with selfishness, with boasting in something that maybe, look what I've done. I did this thing. I really, I really, I did a good job on that. I'm going to pat myself on the back. Right? I did a great job at that. Boasting is something we think we accomplished? Or is, is it just me that, that's, that's struggled with that this week? Because I've definitely struggled with that this week. And we know ultimately it's Jesus who, who accomplishes everything. And we know we know it's Jesus who accomplishes everything. So here's some encouragement for you. It doesn't have to be this way. But for it, to, for it to not be this way, this is what we need to understand. This is going to be our big idea for the day. This is going to be our big idea. It's on the screen. Because wisdom only comes from God. To walk in wisdom, you must humble yourself under his word. That's what we're going to get from the Scripture today. Look for that. Look for that in, in the Scripture as we read it. Look for that. Wisdom only comes from God, and to walk in it, you need to humble yourself under His Word. Let's read from James chapter 3, verse 13 to 18. And to honor the authority of God's Word, let's stand and read it together. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, where it exists, there will be disorder." And every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. We look here in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Well, well wisdom here, right? wisdom here, what's the word that's used for wise, this is the Greek word Sophia. This is where we get the name Sophia from. It literally means wise. Right? And here, it can refer to a capacity of the mind, which is ultimately, of course, created by God. It's given by God, but it's not necessarily being used to glorify him. Right? It is a capacity of the mind that God has given, that God has made, God created our minds. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's being used to glorify him. Whereas, you see here, wise and understanding, we're to, we're to be both. Right? Wisdom is a capacity of the mind, but understanding, it's the Greek word epistemon, epistemon. It's where we get the the word for epistle, like when we see the latter books in the Bible, most of those books are epistles from a letter from Paul to the Corinthians, from Paul to the Romans, right? It's it's a letter of instruction to a church or a group is is what epistle means. Epistemon specifically refers to a God-given perception of meaning, and it results in sound judgment and discerning spiritual truth. The difference between wisdom and understanding. Who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. This good conduct here, that's a a life that's lived rightly before God. The context of this in the previous verses, this is specifically, it's a a warning to teachers. Anyone who would teach God's word. It's a warning for their character, to tame their tongue, to have right speech, to be full of integrity. Right? But it, it applies to all Christians, especially in the greater context of the book of James. That, that context is this Christians living in an age of so much confusion and deception. Does that, does that sound familiar to us? An age of confusion and deception? Does that sound familiar in our age? In a, in a world of, of, of fake news and prolific propaganda? How can we live with true wisdom in an age of deception? You see, deception is nothing new. The first century church was facing it. We're facing it. Right? It's nothing new. And, and here's the good news right here. God has given us his word and the Holy Spirit to handle it. That is truly good news. We're not on our own with deception. We're not, we're not, we don't need to be deceived. God has given us his word. God has given us the truth. So how are we to carry that out? Well, let's look at our text here. Let's look at, back at verse 13. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So are not showing our works in the pride of boasting, but in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness was considered weak by, by the Greeks of Jesus' day. It was considered absolute weakness. You were to be boastful in all that you have done, to let people know how great you were. But Jesus elevates meekness to a core Christian value. This is a core Christian value, is meekness. The way of God isn't the way of the world. Often it's quite opposite, right? I think we can agree the way of God is often quite opposite the way of the world. If we can't agree, come talk to me after because I would love to, to talk about that with you because I struggle with that too, believing that, right? Believing that and surrendering to that daily. I struggle with that too. You see, the way of God is not the way of the world. It's often opposite. This is why. This is gonna be point number one for today. If you're to walk in wisdom... You must believe this. Worldly wisdom produces rotten fruit. Worldly wisdom produces rotten fruit. And the question I have for you today, based off that, is this. The wisdom of the world is opposed to the wisdom of God. So what wisdom are you following? What, what wisdom are you following in, in your in, in, in your time at home, in your time at work, in your time at school, in your relationships, what wisdom are you following? Let's read verse 14 to 16. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly. It's unspiritual. It is demonic for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist. There will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, and open to reason. There will be disorder in every vile practice. You see, bitter here, if you have bitter jealousy, bitterness, this is is anger. It's being resentful. It's coveting. Why, God, don't I have what that person has? Why don't I have what that person has? I want that. I want this. I want that. It's coveting. Right? It's bitterness. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, that's selfish ambition. If I'm saying, I want my way, if I'm saying, I'm going to get what I want my way, no matter what, what is that? That's, that's directly opposed to the fear of the Lord. Selfish ambition is directly opposed to the fear of the Lord. How are you going to be wise if you're opposed to the fear of the Lord? What does is, what is Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 1 verse 7 tells us? It tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, if you're, not, if you're opposed to the fear of the Lord, you don't even have the beginning of wisdom, let alone the end, the bulk, the middle of it. You don't even have the beginning of wisdom if you don't have the fear of the Lord. Selfish ambition is opposed. And what do we see it causing? We see it, we see it we're trying for our own way, our own satisfaction, our own comfort, and we put our preferences ahead of God's priorities. It causes disunity. It causes disunity. It causes division in the church. It causes division in family, divisions in culture. It causes division in marriage. It causes division in any other important relationship. It causes division. And here's, here's, a, here's a tip. Here's, here's something, a guarantee. You can, you can guarantee this. If it's happening in the church, if you see this, if, you, if there's division happening in the church, it started first in private, in the heart. It started first in private, in, in your time or time not spent abiding in Christ, your time not spent in God's word, your time not spent fearing the Lord, depending on him. It started in your heart first, in division, in disunity, in selfish ambition. Verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, This isn't God-glorifying discernment. It isn't God-glorifying judgment. So if it's not from God, it's not the wisdom from above, where is it from? James tells us right here, the source of it is this, earthly. It's of this world. It's a worldly wisdom. It's unspiritual. It's not of the Holy Spirit who discerns truth in our hearts. What is it? It is truly, as James says right here, earthly, unspiritual, demonic. It is demonic. Be honest, do we look at selfishness as de- demonic? Do we look at boasting, calling attention to ourself? and putting ourselves at the seat the high seat of authority instead of Christ do we honestly do we look at that as demonic scripture is very clear it is that's that's the source it is demonic why it goes back to the original sin the first sin what is that in this if we're if we're we're elevating ourselves right in selfish ambition We seek to elevate the creature, the created, that's us, above the creator, God. That's what we're seeking to do. We seek to elevate us, the created one, above the creator, God. You see, in the Garden of Eden, the devil acted wise. He acted wise in a worldly sense, right? He acted wise in his use or application of the knowledge that he had to deceive Adam and Eve. He knew God's word. I'm quite convinced he knows God's word better than I do. He knows God's word. He knows of it. He he knows his instructions. He even knew what temptation to push, not calling it a, a direct rebellion, which of course it was. Not calling it a direct rebellion, but enticing it as a false promise. What's the false promise? You'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. You'll be like God. What's the truth? What's the actual truth? That's a deception. You'll be like God. He's telling it despite the real truth. Humanity is already created in the image of God. We are created in God's image. Exactly as he intended us to be. No more, no less. We're created with a capacity to love. We aren't perfectly loving. God is perfectly loving. We're created with the capacity to act wisely. God is perfectly wise. We are not. God created us with with the capacity to know things. We're not all knowing like God is. We have some authority that has been given to us, dominion over over the earth as caretakers, as an entrustment to it. We don't have ultimate authority, not like God, but we are created in the image of God. We don't need a false promise of, of, of being like God in any other sense. We already know the truth. We're created in his image. You see, worldly wisdom is actually evil deception. Call it what it is. Worldly wisdom is evil deception. It's a distraction from the truth of our dependence on God. As Adam and Eve very quickly discovered, as we know very well from trying on our own, it is impossible to live the Christian life, which is the only way that we'll be truly fulfilled. It's impossible to live the Christian life on our own strength, in our own wisdom, because you see, worldly wisdom is measured like this. It's measured by how it benefits me instead of how it glorifies God. Worldly wisdom is measured by how it benefits me instead of how it glorifies God because worldly wisdom has a limited and finite perspective. It doesn't look in the light of eternity. And the result of that fruit is obvious. It's rotten. The result of that fruit is rotten. It's obvious. Look at the text, verse 16 verse 16, we see, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there it is again, selfish ambition, opposing the fear of the Lord in opposition to God, where selfish ambition exists, there will be. We spend a lot of time talking about the promises of God, what he's promised us if we love him, if we follow him, what he's promised us if we, if we obey him. We don't spend a lot of time pr- with, with the promises of what will happen without him. Right? This is a promise. There will be. It's a guarantee. Without God, there's no good. Without God, there is only, as we keep reading, there's disorder. That's disunity, division, fighting, animosity. There's bitterness. There's hatred. We see that in our world hatred. And there's prejudice. What does that, what does that all boil down to? Here's a catch all phrase that James uses. There'll be disorder and every vile practice. That word "vile" there—it means worthless. It means evil. It means rotten. Right? Truly worth nothing. We can read. That there's a warning given to us about this in Ephesians five fifteen to sixteen. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. The day isn't evil. The day is ordained by God. What it means is the days are filled with evil distractions. The days are filled with evil distractions. Verse 16, as we just read, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. See, worldly wisdom in selfish ambition, it always overpromises, and it always underdelivers. Always. It promises worldly success, which at best is temporary. Right? Best case, it's temporary. And it never really satisfies. Right? No, no accomplishment. No, you, if you get a bigger house, you want a bigger one. If you get a, a boat, you just want a bigger one. Right? It, doesn't, it doesn't matter. If you, get, if you have a bank account that's got two months of savings in it, you just want three months. You just want four months. It, it, it never really satisfies. Why? Because our hearts were created for more. Those things don't satisfy because our hearts were created for so much more. We have an appetite in our heart for eternity that rotten fruit can never satisfy. You see, we need good fruit that can only come from one place. So let me ask you again, what wisdom are you following What wisdom are you following in the priorities that you keep? What wisdom are you following in how you spend your time? In how much time you're spending or not spending in God's Word? What wisdom are you following in in dating relationships? What wisdom are you following in parenting, in marriage? What wisdom are you following in stewarding those finances that God has entrusted to you to use for His glory? Right? We need to come back to this again, right here from God's word. Worldly wisdom will always, right? Worldly wisdom and priorities and preferences will always produce rotten fruit, no matter how shiny we make it, no matter how good we try and make it taste. Right? There's a term called putting lipstick on a pig. I think that's appropriate. Right? No matter how good we try and make it taste, right? There will always still it'll always be rotten fruit. It'll always be rotten fruit. But there is hope. There's good news. This is the good news right here. You can walk in true wisdom. You can, but to do that, you must believe. This is point number two for today. It's our final point. You must believe that godly wisdom produces good fruit. Worldly wisdom produces rotten fruit, but the good news is that godly wisdom, it produces good fruit. So the question the wisdom of God will always produce the fruit of God, right? Because it's perfect wisdom. It's, it's the truth, it's the true wisdom. So wisdom of God will always produce the fruit of God. So what fruit am I showing? What fruit are you showing in those relationships, in stewarding finances, in, in, in how you spend your time? What fruit is evident? Let's look at the text, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle. It's open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial, and it's sincere. It says wisdom that is from above. That's wisdom from God. That's from the Holy Spirit within those who believe in Jesus Christ for their salvation. This term, this wisdom from above, this can also be translated as as wisdom from the beginning. That's an accurate translation, wisdom from the beginning, or wisdom before all time. What's the truth? Who Who is from the beginning? God. Who is before all time? God. This is wisdom from God. Right? Godly wisdom produces good fruit. The wisdom that's from above is first pure. It's holy. It's from the right motivation. It's to glorify God, not me. That's the right motivation, right? God's glory, not my glory. This is is the first essential quality that drives all of the others. It's pure. It's peaceable. It's seeking unity, it's gentle. It's compassionate. Wisdom from above is compassionate. It's open to reason. This is one of the qualities of love we see in 1 Corinthians 13. Love doesn't insist on its own way. But rather, it's open to God's perfect way. As the Holy Spirit grows us, as the Holy Spirit molds us, convicts us, and makes us more into the image of Christ, more into the character of Christ. It's pure, it's peaceable gentle. It's open to reason. It's full of mercy. This is one of the most essential qualities of God, right? God is full, like completely right full. God is the only being that can be completely full of more than one thing. God is completely full of mercy. He's full of grace. He patiently extends it to us again and again, not excusing sin, right? Not excusing sin, but giving grace to us, giving grace to us to repent of it and to be given for it, giving grace again and again and again to us because he's so patient with us. We are also called, just like that, not to excuse sin in one another, or not to excuse sin, but to confront it with mercy as the Holy Spirit gives us mercy, gives us wisdom to discern the needs of the situation. Let's keep reading. Let's look back at our Bibles here. The wisdom from above is first pure than peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. See, these good fruits, they're godly results. Good fruits mean godly results. Right? No fruit I've ever produced has been good in the eyes of the Lord. right? Good fruit is Godly results. It's the Holy Spirit working within us. It's impartial and sincere. That means not showing prejudice, not showing partiality, partiality to economic status, to race, to gender, to, to any any other way you could try and, and judge a person wrongly. You don't show prejudice or partiality. It means also not excusing our friend's sin, maybe, right? Being overly, well, you know, it's okay. Being permissive of sin, right? But then harshly judging others. Even others we have disunity with, right? Probably especially others we don't have any unity with. Right? It's without pretense. It's without hypocrisy. Let's read verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace, a harvest of righteousness. What is that, that harvest of righteousness? Right? A harvest of righteousness is a life growing in Christ-likeness. It's a life that's exuding the fruit of the Spirit right, that James has just walked us through. It's a harvest that is exuding, it's overflowing, overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's the mark of a harvest of righteousness, a life growing in Christ's likeness. And how is it sown? It's sown in peace. This is where it leads. That harvest you don't harvest if you don't first sow. Jesus Christ has accomplished all of this. We're still called to work in obedience, diligently. Just striving for peace. This takes work. This is where it leads. You have to plant that seed before it grows. Right? You have to care for it. You have to nurture it in order to harvest it. No, no farmer looks at a hundred acre field, right, and sees this stalk in the middle and says, "Yeah, that's going to be a good single cob of corn. I'm gonna, I'm gonna enjoy that. That's going to be a great cob of corn." Right? You. you He plants the whole field. He carries out his task until the work of planting is done. We keep sowing peace again, 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 right? The, the farmer doesn't just, just plant a seed and say, well, I planted one seed, that's good enough. No, he keeps, he plants the whole field. He carries out his task until the hard work of planting is done. He doesn't even stop at sunset because modern tractors have headlights. So he doesn't need to stop at sunset. He can be long suffering in that. He's, he's, he even has GPS now in a tractor to guide his row planting. Uh, tractors are, are phenomenal. Guess what we have? We have the Holy Spirit guiding us, guiding our row planting of sowing peace. We're guided by the Spirit. We're called to run this race with steadfastness. A harvest of righteousness. Look at the text. It's sown in peace. By who? By those who make Peace. And peace is this total spiritual well-being. It's the security that comes from abiding in God's presence among his people, as we're doing right now, as you do in your your quiet time with the Lord, as you do in your prayer time, as you do hopefully every moment by moment as you depend on God. It comes, it's the security, this peace, the total spiritual well-being of those who are abiding in Christ. You see, you won't have peace if you're not abiding. It's simple as that. You won't have peace if you're not abiding. If, that, that word abiding, it means, it means to remain. It literally means just remain in a fixed position. Just be. Be with Christ. Be with Christ in his word. Be with Christ in prayer. Spend time with Christ. He is Peace. It's sown in peace by those who make peace. You see, we're called to be peacemakers in a world of anxiety. Not at the expense of truth, right? Not, not at the expense, not, not watering down the truth to try and placiate. Placiation is another temporary thing. It isn't true peace. You're not going to have true peace if you water down the truth, You're going to have more anxiety because you're not going to have the firm truth to stand on. You're going to have a swamp if you're watering down the firm foundation of truth. You're not going to stand on it when a storm comes. It's going to continue to fill up with water. It comes not at the expense of truth, but peace from wisely speaking the truth in love. You see, we don't get this peace on our own ambition. There's nothing we can do to to make this peace happen in ourselves. There's nothing we can do. We don't get it on our own ambition. We get it only by abiding in Christ. We don't get this wisdom by insisting on our own way. We gain understanding by humbling ourselves under the truth of God's word. We gain understanding, God-given discernment, by humbling ourselves under the truth of God's word. You see, we see this truth so clearly in John 14, verse 27. When Jesus promises the Holy Spirit to his, to his disciples, he says this. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give with you, I give to you. Not as the world gives, right? Not the world's wisdom that can never bring peace. Right? Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid let not your hearts be troubled when when trouble comes you don't need to be afraid we work diligently we're long-suffering we endure for the glory of God but but we have the peace which is we have peace which is Jesus Christ himself let not your hearts be troubled Neither let them be afraid it feels like just a, a good moment for a <sighs> I have the peace of Christ. See, this, 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 this is the peace that is from God.? Right? This wisdom, this understanding, this is the peace that is from God above. This is the peace that is from faith in Jesus Christ. It's promised to all who believe in Him. This peace is promised to all who believe in Jesus. And you might say, well, this is hard. This is really hard. It's really hard to walk in true wisdom. But be encouraged, friends. Jesus fulfilled that perfectly already. Right? Jesus fulfilled these commands perfectly for you, to abide in God, to walk in wisdom perfectly We see his wisdom all throughout the gospel, all throughout the recounting of his life. All all of the words recounted in Jesus' life, that's the wisdom of God. But not only that, Jesus was and still is himself the wisdom of God. Being fully God himself, he is the source of wisdom. He is the source of peace. Everything is fulfilled in Him. Now, now if you're here right now, and you've never had this peace, if you've never had this peace, you've never surrendered to Jesus as your only hope for salvation, your only hope for eternity, the first thing, the first thing is this, I am so glad you are here. This church is so glad that you are here. You see, this isn't an accident. It didn't just happen. Whatever circumstance led to you coming here, it wasn't an accident. God is sovereign over all of it. You are here on purpose, and this life of good fruit through salvation in Jesus Christ, this is freely available to all who believe in him. All who believe that he is the son of God who came to earth as fully God, fully man. He lived a sinless life and he died by paying the penalty for our sins on the cross. He rose again to life three days later. He's seated at the right hand of God because he has defeated the power of sin that brings anxiety, the power of sin that brings disunity, the power of sin that brings every vile practice. He has conquered it all. He has conquered it all. And he offers forgiveness of sin He offers eternal life to all who would believe in him. So if that's you, like talk to the person who brought you tonight. Talk to the person next to you. Talk to someone who isn't next to you. That's fine. This church loves talking to people about Jesus. This is a church that loves Jesus and wants you to know how much they love Jesus and wants you to love Jesus. Talk to someone, talk to someone who brought you. I I would love to talk to you after. I I would love to talk to you about how you can follow Christ, how you can have life in his name, how you can have this peace that we're talking about. And for the believer, for the believer, what fruit are you showing in each area of your life? Where do you need to humble yourself in the truth? What areas do you need to repent and turn from your selfish ambition, where you're placing your way above God's way, where you're placing a, a strive for what I want above a fear of the Lord, a reverence for God and who he is? Where, what areas have you been putting your position over a posture of righteousness? Where have you been putting your preferences over the true priorities of God? The true priorities of holiness. What areas, do, what areas do I need to surrender my preferences, my excuses to God and, and follow His priorities? Did you see, true wisdom, true wisdom that produces good fruit, pleasing fruit to our holy God, true wisdom is from above. Draw near to Him and He will draw near to you. Let's pray. But Lord, you've shown us so clearly in your word that wisdom from this world, this worldly wisdom, it produces rotten fruit. It's rotten fruit that always promises us the world, but you have overcome the world. This world has nothing to offer us that compares to the surpassing joy of knowing you. Lord, you are, this, you are the source of true wisdom. You're the source of the understanding that you give us. It produces good fruit. Lord, your understanding, your wisdom produces good fruit, pure and holy and pleasing to you as the Holy Spirit works in our hearts, refining us, growing us in obedience to you. Thank you, Lord, that you freely give peace to all those who trust in you. I pray that this week we would look to you, that we would surrender to you, that you would reveal areas of sin in our hearts, in our lives, where we need to repent of selfishly putting our preferences, Lord, above your priorities. I pray that you would grow us more and more like you, Lord, not for us, but for your glory. Lord, I pray this in your holy name. Amen. Church, would you stand as we respond to the word of God?